Hey fam, this is your host, Amber Preston, and this is Family Drama. Some of the content in today's episode may evoke your own memories of traumatic events. We do not wish to cause anyone distress and hope you find someone in your life with which to share your thoughts and feelings, someone who can help you on your own journey to healing. All right. Welcome back, Mom. So we left off at a very ominous point when you said that everything in your life had changed. Let's talk about the devil. I mean, um, Chalmer Milligan. (laughs) (laughs) Do tell. Oh, gosh, where to begin with such a pathetic person? Chalmer came into our lives in 1963. I remember when mom was first dating Chalmer, he had a remarkable, loud laugh. He seemed amiable. He seemed kind of normal. We would later find out his true nature. I was in second grade when they met. We were still going to a Catholic school. Mom was in her 30s. Chalmer was just a little bit older than my mom was. I guess I should give you a little information about Chalmers' background for the context of this story. Chalmer was born on a farm in Bremen, Ohio, sometime in the 1920s. He grew up on an 88-acre farm that had a small house kind of cottage way back a lane of the 88 acres. And then there was a larger farmhouse built probably in the 30s toward the front that sits on Jerusalem Road. He had two sisters and a brother, and he worked the farm with his father, Wilbur Milligan, until he joined the army during World War II. He had married a woman and had a son named Rodney, who apparently died in infancy. And a little bit later, together, they had Chala, named after, of course, Chalmer. Oh, yeah, weird. I know. Strange name. Interesting name. But Chala's mother died in a car accident when Chala was a toddler. Oh. Chalmer remarried and divorced and married and divorced (laughs) about three more times in the next few years to different women, fortunately. Uh (laughs) When he met my mother, my mother was his fifth wife. Oh, And Chala was just eight years old. Oh, wow. So I can only imagine what her life was like before she came into your life. And you would think that would have been a big, fat red flag in Grandma's life. Like, maybe that this man wasn't stable? (laughs) Well, yes. You would think that that would be a red flag. But oftentimes in relationships, as we all know, you think you can change a person Uh or that you can help a person to change. And we know how that works out. Mm -hmm. I recall the summer I first met Chala. Mom told us that she and Chalmer were going to get married and that we would become a family and that Chalmer and Chala were going to move into our house on Pontius Lane with us. And Chalmer brought Chala over one summer day to meet me and the boys. And you have to remember that I was a little bit of a tomboy. I was very outgoing, very active. And Chala shows up. She comes wearing a dress (laughs) and clutching a baby doll to her chest. And she was 
very quiet and very shy. And she was just about as opposite from me as there is. And when I think about her now, having had all those moms and the upheaval that she must have experienced before she ever came into our lives, I just feel like she never stood a chance. She was never quite right. And Chalmer and Mom got married in October of 1963. And Chalmer adopted Jim, Billy, and me. And Mom adopted Chala. So we became the Milligan family. Shortly after my first Holy Communion in the Catholic school, Chalmer insisted that we were removed from the Catholic school and put into public school because he was not Catholic. He was Methodist. Oh. And 1963 was an incredible year of change for us. Not only did we have the family unit change, but also our, our religion changed. Our schools changed in December of that year. Chalmer began to show his true colors. So wait, did you guys move? No, we stayed in Circleville. Oh, oh okay. We stayed at the house on Pontius Lane. Mm -hmm. And by what I mean, it was just a few months after they were married that he became violent and paranoid and verbally and physically abusive and extraordinarily controlling. He decided that he no longer wanted mom to sing at the clock restaurant. And even though singing was something she loved to do, he made her quit because he was jealous that other people could see her on stage. Oh, okay. So it was okay for him to see her on stage until they were in a relationship. Yeah. Well, jealousy isn't rational. So she didn't seem to know it at the time, but this was his first steps in controlling her. He got her a job at Western Electric where he was working. He was a factory worker. Western Electric provided the factory components for Bell Telephones. Well, on December 4th of that year, we witnessed for the first time how physically violent Chalmer could become. They had just come home from running an errand or something, and I remember it was in the daytime. I remember hearing the sound of the screen door slamming and it's glass breaking. Chalmer was yelling and screaming at mom and he had pushed her through the glass of the glass screen door. And the next thing I recall is watching him straddle over the top of her. He had her down on the ground and pulling fistfuls of hair out of her head and pummeling her in the face and taking her head in his hands and banging her head on the tile floor. And he looks to his left and sees all four of his kids watching this and he screams at us to get back into the goddamn bedroom. And, you know, of course we ran back through there. I was last going into the bedroom and as I, I closed the door, I peered out around the door and I, I watched him continue pounding her head onto the tile floor. When you see something like that, it, it felt like everything was in slow motion and distorted in sound. And of course, we were all scared. We were just children. I recall Jim and Chala just sitting on one of the twin beds in the boys' bedroom. And Chala was just staring straight ahead and 
clutching her doll. And I turned and I saw Billy sitting inside the closet. And I remember sitting down beside him and we were holding on to each other. And that's the first time I ever saw him rocking back and forth and making this buzzing sound. And he was just rocking back and forth, kind of in a fetal position. And he was totally disconnected from the reality. And the scene seemed to be so unreal to all of us. But I remember holding on to him and saying, it's, it's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be okay over and over and over again. The police were not called. Nothing was reported. Mom didn't see a doctor. I remember that during this period of time that very little would have been done anyway because a man's home was his castle. And what happened behind closed doors was his business. Mom was beaten so severely that she couldn't return to work for several months. And I remember going in, seeing her in the bedroom and seeing her lying on the bed and her face was beaten so, so much that her eyes were swollen shut and scabs were forming over the places on her head where her hair had been ripped out. I remember her telling me that Chalmer blew up because she had spoken to a black man at work who was falling asleep at his machine Apparently, she tapped him on the shoulder to wake him up because she was worried that he would get get hurt at the machine. And Chalmer thought she was having an affair with him and she was flirting with him. And he, he hated all, quote, goddamn unquote. That is something that no kid should have to see. And Grandma had already been through so much. I... I have so many mixed emotions about her staying in a situation like that. Well, yeah, I hope our listeners understand that I'm not making excuses for the choices she made for the next 10 years Mm. in staying with Chalmer. It was a complicated relationship in a different era. And you and I probably would have, oh no, I know that you and I would have made different choices. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> well, I know, knowing you. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes. Knowing you yeah. <laughs> and, and no, even knowing me. I mean, if in our era mm-hmm. and in our lives, if a man would have laid a hand on our children. Oh, yeah. I dead. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead in the backyard. Bye. Yes. <laughs> Buried. Very deeply. <laughs> yeah. No one will find your body. No one will find your body. Watch too much true crime. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, so, but mom was in a clearly different frame of mind and in a different era. And the next few years in Circleville were really, really difficult. I started having nightmares and would wake up screaming one time I woke up and and there was a hand over my mouth and it was Chalmers. And it seemed like he was in the room before I even woke up, but it was all distorted. And so I can't exactly know if that was true, but I started having nightmares and they continued during all this first year. And I remember going into third 
grade and struggling academically. Again, I was very young for my class. I was only seven years old in third grade. Oh, wow. And I was behind in reading and math, and the teachers thought this was because I was Catholic and spent too much time <laughs> in religious classes, but they didn't know what was going on at home. Oh. I was trying to survive and learning to navigate Chalmers' increasing paranoia and control over the family. He often thought we were laughing at him. He was very paranoid. One time, Billy and I were in the bathroom washing our hands before supper, and we were giggling because the soap was slipping out of our hands, and we kept dropping it, and, you know, to being kids, you know. To us, we thought that was funny, but Chalmers was outside the bathroom window listening to our laughing, and he came in the bathroom, grabbed me by my hair, and... Billy by the arm and pulled us out of the bathroom, accusing us of laughing at him behind his back. And now this takes a lot of work yeah. to be spying on your kids, trying to catch them doing something as innocent as laughing, just so you have an excuse to beat them. And he had a rubber hose I'm yeah, that he had made a loop and he tied the ends together with electrical tape. What? And he hung that garden hose on the back of his bedroom door. And we called it the rubber hose and he would use it to beat us for the slightest infraction. For instance, one time Billy passed the salt shaker the wrong way and he just went off. He what? passed, I know, right? He pulled him up out of the chair and he started punching him because he passed the salt shaker the wrong way. What? What does that even mean? It means he didn't like the way he picked up the salt shaker and set it down. Oh, my God. <laughs> there is no logic to Chalmers' behavior. He's like a Jekyll and Hyde, and he has the sadistic quality about his abuse. Oh, he would make us go back into the room and get the hose. He oh. would say, go get the rubber hose. And so you had the length of time to walk back and get the rubber hose, knowing full well what was about to happen. Oh and so that stress and that fear and that trauma were incredible. And even though I was doing poorly in school, school became a refuge for me. I hated being at home. I hated being on winter break and summer break. I hated going home for lunch. This was during a time when kids would walk home for lunch and they wanted us to come home for lunch so that they would have the opportunity to see us before they went to work because they were working second shift. And to me, this was just an opportunity for more stress and more violence in our lives because you never knew what kind of mood Chalmer would be in. I remember one day I was going to get to stay at school. I was going to be allowed to stay at school for lunch. And I was so relieved and so excited that I was going to be like the other kids. I would be able to take my quarter and go through the lunch line mm -hmm. and buy the lunch, the same lunch that everybody got. They all got the same lunch back then. Mm -hmm. There was no a la carte. <laughs> there was no, you know, pizza joint down at right. the end of the line or anything. I remember I picked up my tray and I walked to the table and I was shaking so much with relief at not being at home. 
I remember that I looked up at the big lights that were in the gym and I was so overwhelmed with relief that my throat constricted and I began to cry. And I couldn't eat my lunch because the relief of that kind of stress was so powerful. That is an awful lot for a seven-year-old to deal with. For you to deal with. You would think that maybe the teachers or the staff at the school would have done something, reported something. Like, how did they not see what was going on? Well, again, we have to remember that this is a different time period in our society. In a small farming community, the mm-hmm. The laws were not as strict as they are now about reporting abuse or even suspected abuse. And I can't be sure they would have known what to do if, in fact, they knew what was going on because I became very good at hiding everything. I assumed everybody was growing up the same way as I was. And I just became really good at being invisible kind of flying under the radar. There was a subtle shift in mom's behavior during those early years. She began taking on the blame for the way Chalmer was treating her. Mm. We know that that's sometimes a normal reaction. She would say, well, I shouldn't have talked to that black man or, or... Worse, it seemed like she began to back Chalmer up. She would say, you just need to be quiet. Do as you're told. Only speak when you're spoken to. And it felt like, well, she sought his approval on some level. At times, she became abusive. Oh, really? Yeah, I I remember wearing my first Holy Communion dress to school one day to the public school. (laughs) I know, it's so weird. Dress up. Uh, Yes, dress up on, you know, well, we were still wearing dresses. We didn't wear pants back then to Mm -hmm. school. You wore dresses. And I accidentally ripped the hem of the dress because I went down the slide at recess because that's what normal children do at Uh recess. Mm -hmm. And I went home for lunch. She flew into this rage and pinned me down on the bed and she was screaming at me for being a careless and being a tomboy. And her nails dug into my skin until my arms bled. Mm. And the whole time, Chalmer was sitting on the edge of the bed watching her. What? I know, it was really weird. It felt like she was performing for him. Oh, that's messed up. I know, right? And I remember back at school that afternoon, I remember looking at the nail marks that were crusting into little crescent moon-shaped scabs on my arm. I'm I'm trying to see you as a seven or eight-year-old dealing with this kind of environment. The the chaos, the uncertainty, the confusion, the major lack of support. How, How could you possibly cope with this insanity and And grandma becomes complicit? Like, what? Complicit's an interesting word, yes. (laughs) You know, 
remember that Chalmer could turn on her too Mm -hmm. and beat her senseless so that she couldn't even get out of bed. Let's talk about coping first. Mm -hmm. And as the story unfolds, we'll consider or we'll see about this idea of complicity. Okay. It's well documented that Billy's reaction to Chalmers' violent behavior and sexual abuse and trauma resulted in the fracturing of his psyche into multiple personalities and mm-hmm. hence Netflix. <laughs> right. At the same time, though, you know, I'm growing up beside him, I learned to change my behavior by changing my personality. Mm, okay. I made sure that I did the right things as much as I possibly could to stay out of Chalmers' way, to answer the questions the right way and with the correct tone of voice and to hide my true self so that I could survive. Instead of fracturing into different personalities like Billy, I created a personality that was more instructive. I took what little I knew about my real father and created an image and an inner voice of what I thought he might be like. And I know this sounds bizarre, but the mind is powerful. No, that's that's so interesting. I mean, you're in this, this hyperactive, traumatic environment where you create, in your mind, a father figure that becomes like your moral compass or a guide for you to navigate Chalmers insanity. <laughs> yeah, I know. It sounds crazy. Uh, I, yes. Don't get me wrong, though. It's not like, you know, creating a fuzzy bunny imaginary mm-hmm. friend. It's right. not somebody like that. It's mm-hmm. not somebody's imagination yet. This is someone whose voice I could actually hear in my mind. Someone I could talk to someone who gave me actual answers. It's a coping mechanism I created to survive unspeakable trauma and stress. I never discussed this strategy with anyone. I never told anyone as a child. I never behaved as though this imaginary person was there. Mm -hmm. I never talked about it until I was an adult, way after Billy's official diagnosis because a lot of psychiatrists that were dealing with him wanted to know how I survived. Right. Yeah. And I didn't want anybody as a child to try to take that away from me. It took me a long time to tell the psychiatrist as an adult about creating this father figure during my young life because, you know, I was afraid that they would try to take that coping mechanism away from me, which would leave me vulnerable, right? Right. And I had learned that you can never, ever, ever be vulnerable in life. It's dangerous to be vulnerable. Another thing that made this so real to me is in my mind's eye. I could see my real father, Johnny's image, and that gave me a three-dimensional person that had a phenomenal sense of humor that I knew I would have loved if given the chance in the right time, the right place, uh, and of course, different circumstances. 
At the time I created him, I did not know that he was labeled schizophrenic. Oh, plot twist. Yes. <laughs> of course, everything was labeled schizophrenic during his time. Oh. You're schizophrenic and you're <laughs> for schizophrenic. Like Oprah handing out Hondas oh to everyone. <laughs> it was a diagnosis that was common when they didn't couldn't figure out what was wrong with a person, particularly women. So the creation of this father figure was simply a coping strategy that I just put out there for uh, the audience because I know that other people probably do something very similar in order to cope, even now, with the trauma that they're facing. And it's the safest thing you can do when you don't have access to therapy. Home is not a safe place. There's not a support system for battered women and abused children. Wow. It's just a lot. I I gotta ask though, do you do you still hear his voice? Your dad? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. He was with me up into my early twenties. He wasn't just an instructive person kind of teaching me how to cope or how to survive. I felt that the relationship was a two-way relationship, and I learned how to be a better student in school in order to please him. Not for Chalmer, absolutely mm. not for Chalmer. Right. So he seemed to be proud of me when I learned how to be a better academic student or when I learned how to control my emotions, when I learned how to become invisible and to avoid Chalmers' insane behavior, it felt like dad was very, very proud of me. For instance, he helped me recognize when Chalmer came home from work. If he had been drinking, there was a particular way he would turn the light switch on when he came into the house. He taught me how to recognize how to listen for the gravel under the tires when he drove in, which would indicate whether or not he'd been drinking or not and what state of mind he might be in. He taught me, for instance, where to hide a screwdriver in the basement so I could pry my way out of the coal chute and Ugh. open up and get out of the basement if I were locked there. We'll get to that one later. <laughs> and I know this sounds strange, or even impossible, but something in me had the ability to do this and to create this persona and to be aware of what I was doing. Unlike Billy, who was not aware of the persons that he created. Hey fam, thank you so much for listening today. If you have a story you want to share, please visit our website at family-dramapodcast.com and click on send us your story or ideas. While you are there, subscribe to Family Drama so you don't miss an episode. Also, all of our socials are listed in the show notes. Like, follow, share, and subscribe. And please give us your feedback by leaving us a review. 